Grover Center's Conversations on the Street, a Shelby County Bicentennial Podcast Project, hosted by Grover Center and recorded in its exhibit, The Streets of Old Shelby. Over the course of this next year, we'll be taking a look at the fabric of Shelby County, how our past informs our present, and what legacy means to different people. Each episode will examine our historical events and figures, as well as contemporaries on the chosen topic through conversational interviews. At the end of each episode, we'll also be featuring musical selections from local musicians. This is Conversations on the Street, and we're so glad that we ran into you. Charles Davis began building his mansion on Mechanic Street in Shelbyville, Indiana. The same year, his furniture company landed one of the largest sales to a firm in Europe. He was only 28 years old at the time. A few years later, just after the house was completed, the local newspaper reported that Mr. Davis could be seen driving around in his new peerless automobile, the most expensive vehicle in the county at that time. As president of the Davis Byerly Table Company, known internationally and recognized as the world's largest exclusive manufacturer of library and parlor tables, he certainly could afford it. With over 500 employees on the company payroll, Davis Byerly had no problem meeting the demand of the quality of work for which they had come to be known. For all of his wealth, Mr. Davis couldn't stop the ebbs of time. In 1911, at the age of 41, Mr. Davis passed away. Yet his legacy carries on. Though multiple families have lived in the home that Davis built, it still carries his name, the Charles Davis Mansion. If we only see these accomplishments, we dismiss Mr. Davis's journey to those moments of success. We only focus on the peaks and ignore the valleys. In interpreting history, we ask people to engage with and have a better appreciation of the human experience. But how can you appreciate something you cannot connect to? How can we understand Mr. Davis's life if we only focus on the wealth and the status? Most of us will never be driving around the county's most expensive car or leading one of the world's largest companies. During this podcast series, we'll be looking at events and people through Shelby County's 200-year history and focus on where and how they intersect with our lives today. Over the course of the Bicentennial, Grover invites the community to participate in this discussion. Today we are joined by Vince Bradburn, the Shelby County Historical Society's board president and a history teacher at Shelbyville Central Schools. Thanks for joining us today, Vince. Hey, Alex, thanks. That was a great intro. Appreciate it. As we kick off the Bicentennial, and as president of the Shelby County Historical Society, what do you hope is accomplished by our community during the Bicentennial? Great question. Thanks. Well, I think it's going to be obvious that we're going to celebrate our past. You know, that's that's kind of the canned answer that I'm supposed to say as the board president and a teacher for almost three decades now of U.S. history is, is we want to celebrate the cool stuff that's happened and we want to celebrate um, the cool people that have lived here uh, before us. And we'll talk about legacy and so forth. And, and you know, that, that that's natural part of, of uh, commemoration of, of any Ennial, right? Centennial, that's 100, right? So bicentennial, about 200 years there, right? So we're looking back to the past 200 years is where we start. And it gives us an opportunity to, uh, to kind of look back, you know? And, and, and in fact, here, this is, this is what I'm thinking. So as a, as a teacher, there's, there's seasons as a, as a public school teacher. And uh, one of the things I really like about the gig. And during the summer season, it's a time for me to reflect. You know, it's time for me to, to kind of take pause and look back. At the previous year, you know, and, and, and that's just natural part of what we do, I think, in the, in the summer. And, and we reflect like, OK, that was something that really worked this past year. I want to make sure we do that. Or maybe, hey, I need to do this one even, 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 uh, uh, even more, 
You know, I really like that part of it. Other things, especially like this year, all the COVID restrictions, there's things I don't want to ever do again as an educator. And hopefully I don't have those circumstances again. And, and there's also things that, you know, as a teacher, I look back over the year and, and in that process of reflection and evaluation, I recognize, well, maybe I shouldn't have done it that way. Or, ooh, did I, did I include everyone in that? You know, what about, you know, student X or what about, you know, this, this, this component there that while I was in the moment, I didn't necessarily think about it. But what the summer offers me is an opportunity to pause and to reflect back so that it informs not just the, the thing that I did, but as I'm moving forward, that's the next step in my summer season as a, as a teacher is I'm planning for next year, right? I'm, I'm thinking about how the, my previous year in the, in the past informs the direction I want to go in the, uh, in the future. And, and once again, I'm going to celebrate some stuff that happened in the past, but I'm also going to maybe take a hard look at some of the things that I don't want to happen again, you know, or maybe redesign or to uh, double down that I say that, you know what, I really value this, but in my actions didn't necessarily show it. And so what are some, some great ways or better ways for, for me to do that? So all that is to say, I'd love for our community to engage in the same, the same process here in the Bicentennial. I want us to celebrate who they were then, but also who we are today. Cause that's what we do when we're, when we're looking at the past, we're not just looking at people that, that died before us, but we're also at, while we're looking at the lives of the people that came before us, we're also considering our lives today and seeing, especially if the people that lived in the same place we did, right. Uh, we're, we're looking back at how their lives were different than ours, but then also maybe as we're identifying with them of living in Shelby County too, we we're also maybe thinking about that's who we are today. Well, sometimes maybe, sometimes not. So it's part of that reflection process that hopefully our community does as well. And, and here at Grover Center, we're definitely going to invite the community to, to join us in that, in that discussion of not just who these people were that came before us, but uh, what part of their stories do we want to, to pass on as a legacy and, and move forward in the future as we move forward as a people? Who do we want to be? Well, and, and kind of think of it like that, you know, with the idea of reflection, of taking time to, to sort of size up uh, you know, a year lived in the case of, of teaching or 200 years of, of our county's history. Why is that reflection process so important, imperative to a community and its identity? Oh, man. I love that you said identity. Yeah. Otherwise, we remain stagnant, I guess is, is one thing I think of, right? We remain stagnant and we keep doing what we've continually done. Um, I think another thing I, I think of just then is, is that if it's the same people making the same decisions moving forward that have always made the decisions, then, then cool. Let's just leave it the way it is and, and let other people think about it. But if you're feeling like you're not empowered or you're feeling like um, there's a part of your life today or a part of our community today that you'd like to change, you know, I certainly see history, studying history and valuing history as a way to bring about that, that desired change by inviting you to be a part of the, a part of the process. In our 40 year history here at, at Grover, we've had tons of narratives pass through these, these walls. So there's different ways that we can approach history and, and, and look at different moments of history. So obviously the depth and the, and the size of it is, is pretty great. But why would you even do that? Why, why look at those things? There it is. There it is. I get that so so many times. Like you don't even know how many times kids are either thinking or they actually ask me out loud, like, why do I need to know this? Why do I need to know this, especially in this this age of Google mania, right? Of, you know, the information age in which we live. 
it's no longer relevant. Like history is no longer relevant to us in the information age. If we only look at the value of history as a bunch of things that have happened, if we just look at it as, as here's a bunch of facts, well, the process of what we what we do here at Grover and, you know, what, what we do in the classroom and in history classrooms all over is pointless, right? We don't need it because literally we have all that information at our at our fingertips and not just the professionals, right? But anybody who has access to Wi-Fi has, has the access to all the information that they would ever need to know. So there's something more to it, right? There's something more that we can we can get from the study of history and valuing uh, history. It's not just memorizing stuff, right? It's not just memorizing stuff and then just remembering it and throwing it back on a test, so to speak. And then to be honest, you know, that was part of what I, I initially saw history being coming up. And, and it wasn't until later in, in my development that I saw that it, it could be much more. And, and part of that for me, what I've learned over, over the years is that as I engage in looking at the people that came before me, and in that process, uh, whether it be engaging in an exhibit here or, you know, um, however that, whatever that looks like in my classroom, the value of that is, is, is focusing in on the journey, you know, and, and if I'm trying to develop empathy for people around me today, right. And I'm consciously looking at, um, how other people are, are, are approaching or, or, uh, you know, living their lives today, not just from a, from a singular me as a selfish perspective, but if I'm, if I'm called to, to look at it from someone else's eyes, then step, then study history. Cause you have to, I can't really understand the 1830s or the 1820s, right? Cause that's 200 years ago. I can't understand the 1820s. They had outhouses. Well, they didn't because they were pioneers. And so they hadn't built them yet, but they, they, their world is so not my, my world. And it, I'm forced to, if I really want to learn from them and not just memorize the facts, but if I want to learn from them and understand their journey and how they interacted with the circumstances that were around them, it forces me to put myself in their shoes. Yeah. It forces me to get fully immersed into the world in which they lived. And, and there's, there's value certainly in that, like we, there's, there's a whole industry, like billion dollar industry that helps us do that. It's called Netflix or, you know, whatever it might be, that escapism that's, that's helpful to us. But there's, there's more to it than just that escapism and entertainment value. What I've found is that as I do that more, as I engage in learning for, from the people that came before me, I'm identifying with them, right? I'm, I'm connecting with their life, even though they don't have indoor plumbing. I find that there's some universals, right? There's some uh, universals in our human human character and that human experience, although the variables may be a little bit different if we don't have electricity or if we don't have a MacBook Pro. Our experiences may be different, but how I interact and the character that I bring to it, I can learn from the people that, that have come before me, just like I can learn from the people around me uh, today. And so that's where I see tons of value in generally studying history and especially as we're looking at what we're asking folks to do with this bicentennial thinking back the last 200 for us 200 years for us locally is to really develop a deeper appreciation for the people a deeper appreciation for the people that came before us but then also a deeper appreciation of the people around us today right so we have a better sense of, of community so we have a better connection so that there's you know more of us feel connected to 
our story. And I think the more of us that feel connected to where we live today and understand that there there were people that came here before us. And if we're connecting with those people that came before us, we're connecting that to this place, but then we're also bringing it to, to the present. And I think that helps us begin to have a deeper, yes, appreciation of that human experience then, but also a deeper appreciation for the human experience uh, today. So why is it important that we, we take in the whole and not just the high watermarks of these, these people? Yeah. Yeah. Cause that's the stuff that's easy to memorize, isn't it? That's the stuff that's easy to memorize. Okay. When, when did Thomas Hendricks, what did he do? He's vice president. That's kind of a big deal. Before then he was governor of Indiana. Also a big deal. This sounds familiar, right? We just had one of those <laughs> come through again. And, and there's something, there's value in that of, of saying, you know what? We, we identify, he came from here. He's one of us. Right. And so therefore his success is a shared success for us. Um, you know, there, there's that. There's that to it, but I would argue that we're not giving folks like Thomas A. Hendricks enough room to teach us today. If we just look at the the thing that's on the sign in front of the Scaffi building today, right? If we just look at the list of accomplishments from um, being our delegate at the Constitutional Convention to you know our state rep and, 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 and Senator of the United States during the most turbulent time in our nation's history during the Civil War, right? He's leading not just our state's delegation in the U.S. Senate, but he's leading the entire nation. He's, he's a national leader, right? Obviously, he became vice president, so somebody liked him, right? So there's, there's a connection there that we can draw that he's our hometown boy, right? There, there, there's some connection there, but that's, that's kind of fleeting, isn't it? Because I don't know, I can't, I can't relate to the life of a vice president. But what I can connect to is trying to wade through life, maintaining my own personal uh, and moral convictions, and at the same time within the, the environment in which I'm living. You know, and that's one of the things that as I've, as I've studied the life of Thomas A. Hendricks, that's one of the things that I see in him, right? Is a, a, a guy that's definitely really good at what, at what he did, but I also see that, that, that turmoil going on um, with him of, of how to address some of the contemporary uh, issues of the time and still stay true to self, you know? So that's something that, that I can identify with. And as I look back at, um, in his story, I don't get that from the sign outside in front of Scuffy, or I don't get that by just looking at the elementary sign that's named after him or the streets that's named after him. But it, it, it really requires digging into a, a deeper, I guess, study or understanding of why do we name things the way that we do. Does, does platforming things like that, naming them or platform, yeah, um, does that does that inhibit uh, sometimes the ability to 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 learn the the deeper or appreciate the deeper uh, valleys of that person's life? I think it does. You know, it'd be nice if our reality was what we portray on social media, wouldn't it? That that insta worthy picture if, if that reflected my entire life or that Pinterest perfect uh, moment if it was really accurate and authentic to my entire life that'd be that'd be great right but that's that's not the that's not the fact or that's not the, the case you know and, and, and yeah by platforming or putting individuals that somebody deemed significant on a pedestal or as a statue or whatever it may be what I'm about to say doesn't devalue the accomplishments of that individual what I'm saying is let's add to Let's not just leave them on that pedestal, but let's really dig into examine what else can we learn 
from them and their experience other than the Pinterest perfect post, right? Other than that, um, the highlight, if you, if you will, a high water mark, but you know, let's, let's, let's dig into what, what allowed them to, to get there. Just thinking about Charles Davis in that context, you know, not everybody's going to, yeah, have a house named after them or have a, have the most expensive car, right? Even if you did achieve those things, if that was where we stopped the conversation about you, wouldn't you feel that they've boiled your down, your life down to the most basics of, of, and maybe not even how you identify yourself. You know, I think Charles Davis would probably appreciate, uh, that the conversation continues after that, that, you know, he comes into town as a teenager, that he starts at the Conroy Byerly table company. But through that, he picks himself up and gradually starts achieving more and more, eventually becoming uh, uh, their marketing, sort of like director, sales director and president of that, and then buys out a portion of the company. Right? And it's, again, it'd be really nice to curate the story there. This man starts off bottom rung, makes something of himself and goes to the very top, buys a mansion, makes a mansion, does all this really cool stuff and accomplishes it all. But Charles Davis also was able to make something of himself because he had some relation to the Conroy family. Um, he was able to buy out the portion of the factory, the, the company, and that would eventually take his name because of that that familial relation, most likely. But didn't he work hard? He And nobody says that he doesn't, right? Yeah, yeah nobody's... By giving us the additional information, we're not taking away that there was still a level of success that he brought to his job. But it's appropriate and required that we examine the whole... Otherwise, our, our present day, as you're talking about, I don't think that we can um, connect with them on a human level. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So it's about addition rather than subtraction. Yeah. Mm. I mean, that's how I see this. And even our current national narrative of as, as we're wading through some of the stuff that we're, we're, we're touching on today as a national people. That Yeah, that's how I view it as well. It's, it's, it shouldn't be about subtraction. We shouldn't remove from the story. But but rather we should include more. Let's let's maybe be conscious. I think that's what I see folks folks doing of, of consciously looking around. Not today, and as we're you know staying staying to our narrative of, of of Shelby County history, as we look past as we look back at the past two hundred years, I'd love for us to do that from twenty twenty one eyes, and I think part of what that means for us today, as we look back in the two hundred past two hundred years, is identifying and looking for whose voices have not been recorded. You know, I got to tell you, I'm a little intimidated by these fancy pantsy mics with this podcast business. You know, not everybody had this opportunity for their voice to be literally recorded or figuratively recorded in terms of how we remember the people that lived here. There's over 500 people employed in the, in the dinky at one time, right? Who's preserved their stories? Thanks for listening to this episode one of our Conversations on the Street, a podcast series that is part of our Shelby County, Shelbyville Bicentennial Commemoration. Overall, we hope to foster and uh, facilitate a civil discussion about Shelby County's past in order to better understand and appreciate one another, both past and present. As we engage in the process of looking at who they were then, we're also thinking about discussing who we are today. But let's not leave the discussion there. Our past can inform our future. Let's use this summer season to pause and to reflect. What aspects do you want to carry forward into the coming years? 
Our hope at Grover is that we as a community also discuss who we want to be moving forward. In this first episode, our desire was to frame the series and explain why we were taking a little bit different approach than what may be expected when thinking about something like this. One would expect an initiative by a local historical society to commemorate the past 200 years of a local place to to celebrate and to list the accomplishments of significant individuals of their home. While we certainly want to do that, we want to do more. We believe there's so much more value in, in, in engaging in the past than just rememorizing facts. In studying and questioning, remembering and discussing, and learning from it, and, and in the process, learning from one another. Let's look beyond the titles of familiar and famous names in order to find ourselves in the story. We'd love for you to join us in the process of assigning meaning to it, your own meaning. We don't want to just tell you what to think is important or significant. Our hope here is that you feel empowered to take ownership of our collective story. See yourself in the story. Connect to it. This is one of the reasons one of our core values is inclusivity. Let's purposely seek room in the process for as many people as we can to join us. This is your community. This is your story. Won't you join us? Established in 2018, Encomium Ensemble is a three-member group based in the central Indiana area that plays a unique blend of music focused on the style of early music. Using a variety of instruments, they play songs from all over the world, some of which date back to the 1500s, and one song can even find its origins in the mid-500s. The word encomium itself has historic roots. A Latin word derived from Greek, it refers to a speech or piece of writing that praises someone or something highly. As many of the ensemble's musical selections have been used as a setting for poetry or hymns, the word is certainly fitting. For today's featured set, the Encomium Ensemble will be playing Holy Manna and Brightest and Best. Holy Manna was originally written for Brethren We Have Met Together, which is one of the oldest published American folk hymns. It was originally published in 1825 by William Moore in Columbian Harmony. Brightest and Best is an old American hymn from the Sacred Harp tradition of a cappella singing, which flourished in the northeastern United States in the late 18th and early 19th centuries and spread to the southern states. The noble melody is anonymous, but the text, written in 1811, is by Reginald Heber. In other words, these songs are what people living in Shelby County 200 years ago may have been listening to or performing.
Join us next month as we take a look at the furniture industry in Shelbyville's past and talk to Craig Olson, a local woodworker looking to use his skills to help others. Thank you.